ready to roll on another Femi and Ferrari podcast with lots to talk about. Well, it's a Femi and Ferrari Friday. It is. Is, is how we're doing it here on this uh, glorious May the 8th Friday in Seattle, Washington. It's a really nice day out there, Mike. And we have some stuff to look forward to, at least uh, on the uh, on the surface here with this NFL season. Yeah, and now that you say that, you know, you're in West Seattle and I'm here at the station. I think I'm going to go out on our little sports deck because it's so nice. And just kind of, can you see me? Can I, you see? <laughs> I can't quite see you. Because you know, I can't see you. <laughs> maybe if you're a little closer, I'd be able to make you out. But uh, <laughs> it, it, it's a beautiful day here in Seattle. It's been a, a really amazing spring. Uh, yeah, figure with us all being uh, sheltered in place here, but uh, I know it's, uh, it, it's been truly an amazing spring, and you know I guess can't complain if, if we can't go out. I guess the sun is always nice to look at uh, yeah. inside the home. First thing <laughs> I think of, I see all the nice weather, and they they open up the parks and everything. I'm like, oh no, please don't shut things down. <laughs> please don't take group pictures on top of mountains. Just yeah. avoid each other. Go enjoy stuff, but just avoid. Keep your head down. Just keep moving. Yeah, just, I don't just avoid everybody. I'm, I'm not sure if I have too much faith in a uh, in the general public here. I <laughs> I don't because because people still aren't getting it at the grocery store and they're still standing too close to me. Uh, I I don't even I used to love grocery shopping. Now I I don't even want to go. I, I'd rather starve. I'd rather eat that old granola bar <laughs> at the bottom of the pantry than have to go out to the grocery store. You know, but I got kids, so I gotta go. I gotta arm yeah. it up. You know, it's, it's, it's definitely a stressful environment. One yeah. I mean, it could be worse. You could be Earl Thomas this week. You, you could be Earl Thomas. <laughs> Talk about stress. I mean, that guy might have the most stress out of all of us. Wow. Did you read that story? Uh, yeah. Who hasn't, right? I, I read it the night that it came out on uh, TMZ. And I think the amount of jaw-dropping... Uh, moments in in such a short article probably cannot be counted on two hands. <laughs> I, yeah, I just it, it was like a short, it was like a TV series that's thirteen weeks long wrapped up into you know ten little paragraphs. Yeah. I, I just I was like, what? It, it, what? It, it what was, is going on here? It was certainly something. That, that that's the way I've described <laughs> it. I was like, oh, what happened? Something happened. <laughs> <laughs> and I know he's a little weird, but that that's just, you know, the that, brother and then the... Yeah. I mean, wow. Wow. A lot yeah. going on with a lot of people involved. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I just... Just goodness gracious, Earl. That yeah. was one of those nights I was working and I read it and I... And, I, you, know, and you know, you know this is because what happens... If he's a Seahawk, right? We're the lead story that night. Exactly. I, I sat there. I looked at Mary Nam and I said, I'm so glad he plays for the Ravens. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was a little blip on the radar. But, yeah, whatever. I mean, because I, I said, I said, you know, when he, his Seahawk career ended, he left the field in Arizona flipping off the Seahawks bench. But apparently that's not the most awkward moment in Earl's life. <laughs> not even close. <laughs> that is that is a that is a, a blip on the radar. If that, yeah. <laughs> you, you know whose face I would have loved to have seen. And I know he's always a proponent of former players, and he's he's a good guy. Always keep. Up. I would love to have seen John Schneider and Pete Carroll's faces. Oh my that. gosh! Just like just they probably didn't say much as much as just kind of look at each other. You know, you got 
<sighs> yeah, I, I can see John Schneider sending the link to Pete Carroll with a wry smile on his face, and then just seeing Pete Carroll with the look of confusion and <laughs> that look he has on the sideline with his mouth not all the way open, but just partially open, and you see his eyes kind of going side to side, and you can just see the gears just turning in his head. I'm sure that's the look that he had when he saw that TMZ article. <laughs> just just working on a piece of bubble yarn that yep. fell out of his mouth. So. Oh, man. <laughs> that is uh... – that, that, that was, uh, I guess, our little appetizer for what we got yesterday. <laughs> yeah, right. When, well, Wednesday night, the Earl Thomas Follies. Thursday, the NFL schedule. The NFL schedule go. comes it, out. It's out. Uh, the NFL schedule, not on schedule, you know, typically comes out the Thursday before the draft. But uh, this year, it took a little longer, I'm sure, there's, there's, as they're trying to play the waiting game and see what they are able to do and what they're not able to do in terms of uh, just – anything in that regard with our, right. with our shelter in place and stay at home orders all across the country. So it's, it's out and they're going forward until they're told by health officials and local government officials that they shouldn't go forward, which is probably the best plan, you know, plan to, to be on the field. And if you don't, if you can't be on the field, then kind of take it from there. But as of right now, 256 games are on a schedule and 2020 kickoff uh, here. It comes September 10th. Yeah. You know, I was talking to my wife, Wendy, about a lot of this stuff this morning. And, you know, I, I read some things and I uh, saw the statement that came out from the NFL after the schedule was released. Like, they obviously know this is, you know, best case scenario and they'll react accordingly depending on how things go. I think my initial thought on the schedule as a whole and the league as a whole and football as a whole, and, and I don't want to be like an alarmist, but just having read other things – the fact that there is no vaccine, uh, the fact that uh, not the fact, but the opinion that there's going to be a second wave of COVID-19 that could be worse in the fall. Yep. I, I think the overall picture of football in our lives, I think you're going to see, and I'm not even going to get into the high school sports, but I think you're going to see an NFL season that's pushed back a month to six weeks from the start. The Super Bowl is going to be further after all those games are played in empty stadiums because they want to have the Super Bowl be a crowning event once there is a vaccine. They will not play the Super Bowl in an empty stadium. That's not what yeah. they want to have happen. Yeah, I find that hard but to believe. I saw something that said the Super Bowl could be pushed back months the way it is scheduled in Tampa, which is the fact that even someone brought that up is interesting. Wow, yeah. And, and I don't think you're going to see college football until February, March, April. Yeah. I mean, I know it's crazy, but I mean, mean, this has been a crazy time. But, you know, no one, unless you're going to sign, unless there's a waiver that says, I do not want to be resuscitated (laughs) because (laughs) you can't clog a hospital in Seattle with, you know, 60,000 people that all suddenly get sick if that's the case. Because if you looked at real sports this week, they talked about the soccer games in northern Italy. Uh, they, they, they talked where it was such a problem, right? COVID-19, all these people, they said it was like a bomb went off. That, that's like basically a template for what could happen uh, if these stadiums are full. And if, if you're going to sign a waiver, that's fine. Okay, I hereby agree not to sue the Seattle Seahawks if my grandpa dies of COVID-19 from coming to the game against the Cowboys in the third week. You know what I mean? It's like they're, it's a tough thing to deal with, but I think the NFL has got the deep pockets to pull it off without fans. 
because yeah. of the, t- the TV. College, college is the month. Everybody knows it. It's the straw that stirs the drink when it comes to collegiate sports. They cannot play college football in empty stadiums. And if you look at what Oregon did last night, they're not going to have mass gatherings through the first four weeks of September, which is the whole month. How are the Ducks and Beavers going to play? Right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, I find it hard to believe. And I've seen, you know, a lot of schools have come out and said that they're planning to have students on campus for the fall and such. And a lot of them have been some of the down south schools and even some of our northwest schools. You know, Washington right. State was uh, their president, Kirk Schultz, said it. Uh, Idaho said it a, a little bit before WSU did. Um, but we haven't heard anything from Utah. But I mean, even the Oregon schools, they've been planning for students to be on campus. But I mean, now, as you kind of go with it, like you've been mentioning, with Governor Kate Brown in Oregon saying, hey, there's no no mass gatherings through September. I don't see how bringing 30,000, 40,000 people on campus, I mean, that's a, a college is a mass gathering. That's the entire college experience, you know? Right. There's, there's no shelter in place in college. So, yeah. You know, I, I saw something. I might, it might have been Brett McMurphy that maybe tweeted it out, or it might have been, it's one of the national college football writers. And he had quoted an athletic director that says, why can't we play games even if classes are online? And at that point, I'm like, how can you justify risking the well-being of these students to play games? And I get that the money is what's really driving this force. And it's obviously college football or college athletic departments can't really survive without football by and large. But if you can't say that it's safe enough for students to come on campus, how can it be safe, safe for these student athletes to perform and play in these games? You know, it doesn't really make sense to me. So, I mean, that's kind of been my stance on college sports is that, Hey, we're not going to get them until it's safe to go back to school for all students, not just the athletes, but for all students. But I mean, some athletic directors have differing opinions. They obviously know more or, than me or but maybe they don't know more i mean we're all kind of just speculating here at this point since we're we're in early may but it just it, it feels like until we get kids back on campus there's just not going to be any collegiate sports and like you mentioned it could be a spring college football season to where february or march is where things really get back going once there's widespread testing or maybe we're close to getting a vaccine yeah and when you talk about Oregon and mass gatherings, forget just a sporting event. Like, what's the largest lecture hall? I've never attended a class at the University of Oregon. What's the largest lecture hall there? You know how it is. Yeah. 1,000, 1,500 kids. Oh, yeah. yeah so, I mean, you can't even hold a big class on campus. How in the heck are you going to hold a football game? So <laughs> it's, it's definitely, I mean, the, the whole thing is, I mean, it, we are so in the uh, world of uncertainty and day-by-day environment. Um, it, I, we want it. You and I both want it. We, I mean, it would be great to, to see it. But, I mean, I think even if you're a media guy or girl or uh, man or woman, you want to go to a game and feel okay going. Yep. You know, I mean, you, you're talking college. You're talking about 100 guys, right, on a college sideline. They're, they have way more personnel than they do in the NFL. Yeah. And then you're talking about coaches. What, what about the – is the band going to be there? Yep. And that's trainer, another, the trainer, right. the medical staff. <laughs> uh I mean, even if they limited, you know, people that were there, I, there's so many questions, but I think for the sake of it, because one thing I did see is that they could, if they want to delay the start of the NFL season to push it back to have that, you know, full Super Bowl in Tampa Bay with fans, vaccines, all that stuff, they could take the first four weeks of the NFL and make them the last four weeks of the NFL schedule. Yeah. 
that's one thing that they could do. But for, I think, for optimistic purposes, we can discuss the Seahawks kicking off September 13th at 10 a.m. against Dan Quinn and the Falcons. Yeah, and, and one last thing on, like, the scheduling quirk. It's interesting. Yeah. I know some people have pointed out the fact that weeks, I believe, weeks two and three, I believe, are it might be weeks two and three or weeks three and four, but there's two weeks early on in the season that are games that there will be no divisional games that are played. That's so what I heard, yeah. Like, it's almost as like if it's, it's a built-in kind of restart or if maybe they can – a couple games that you could drop to expedite the season to where you're able right. to end in a reasonable amount of time. But I think they tried to make some sort of interesting quirks. And a lot – and those teams that in those weeks, I believe, are all on the same bye week, I think, is also another quirk. So that if they had to make up those games later, they could do it at a later date in their bye weeks and just kind of switch the bye weeks if that second wave were to hit in the fall or so. But as of, as of right now, we're all just – speculating and such so like like you mentioned let's get to that schedule uh you mentioned a 10 a.m kickoff in atlanta uh, seahawks opened up as a as a one point favorite one and a half point favorite you know vegas is they're hurting by this coronavirus as well so they've, been, <laughs> they've, been, they've been itching to get some stuff out there that people are willing to bet on and they're on it we've seen people betting on korean baseball and table <laughs> tennis and virtuals mat Madden marbles marbles <laughs> All that stuff has been <laughs> it's been bent on as people are trying to get their fix. But uh, the, the lines for all week one games came out, and Seahawks, it, it looks like they're in for another nail-biter. But, I mean, hey, what's new when you're talking about the Seahawks? <laughs> yeah, road favorite in Atlanta, that's not, that's not bad. I mean, they they always give them a tough game. Uh, they You know, Dan and Pete know each other pretty well, uh, and it is that 10 a.m. factor. So the fact that they're even favored – that that's not bad, but it used to be when Holmgren coached, you know, those 10 a.m. games, oh like gosh. forget those, it. Those right? were automatic losses. <laughs> right. Now it's just no big deal. Pete, Pete has it. They'll leave on Friday right after yeah. practice. They're dialed in. They go very businesslike and they take care of business and, and come home. So I, and plus I like the fact you get a 10 a.m. game out of the way right away. It, and yeah. it's coming, it's coming off like 10 days, 10 days without a game because that last preseason game is on a Thursday night or Friday night. So you have like a little bit of a longer break to get ready for that. So you're well rested. It's not like that quick turnaround. If you're coming back from LA on a Sunday, then oh boy, we got to leave Friday to go to Atlanta. Get a get a 10 a.m. out of the way, and they and they do just that. So it's a windy here on the weather deck. So I, I don't I don't mind that. I have to go back inside. Right. <laughs> well, as you make your way back inside, one of the cool things about it being the opening game of the season is that it's longer. It's, you have a longer amount of time to prepare and kind of change the body clock of the players. I mean, heck, that last preseason game is usually the Thursday before Labor Day weekend. So you have 10 days or so to get ready for uh, the first week of the season. So you think about it after that Thursday game, once you get into Friday, hey, maybe Friday, all right, guys, we're on the field at 10 a.m. You know, Saturday after cut day or whatever, Sunday practice. We're on the field at 10 a.m. And then you do it the whole week at 10 a.m. because you have that flexibility mm-hmm. to kind of get ready for that. But I'm sure they have their own uh, their own techniques and their own remedies and stuff. I mean, heck, they've won eight straight eight straight of these 10 a.m. East Coast kickoff games. And they appear to have no problem with them at all. So you look at the schedule, there's, I believe, four of them that are on there right now that are scheduled pending being flexed and all sorts of uh, other stuff like that. But it's at Atlanta on the 13th of September, then October 4th, Miami, that's a 10 a.m. game. And then November 8th at Buffalo is also a 10 a.m. game. And then December 20th 
at Washington, another early kickoff on the East Coast. But uh, all those games winnable, uh, all of them, they're, they're going to compete. We know that. But uh, w- when you ser- first saw the schedule, I mean, other than the opener and seeing who they're going to play to start the season, w- what, what did you kind of look for um, when this came out yesterday afternoon? I, I don't know why. But I always look immediately to see when the when the bye week is. I'm a big fan of teams having a bye week after the midpoint. It just to me, it seems like if if you're going to be a playoff team and you have that bye a little bit later, it gives you that push after the midpoint of the season. I I, I mean, Pete, you know, Pete always spins it positively, and other people may not think that much of, about it because maybe that's a good spot week six since they've been going since the end of July. So that's almost like a, maybe is it a halfway point then with, you know, 10 more weeks left. I mean, that could be a perfect halfway point, but as far as games go and that just kind of, you know, breaking the schedule to come back and make that big playoff push. I always, I always like the buy to be later. So that was the first thing that kind of jumped out at me. And then I always next after that, look at where the Thursday night game is. And obviously that's a divisional game for most of the time, any of these teams that play on Thursday nights because the the shorter travel. Mm -hmm. Now let's just face it. The Rams Cardinals and the Niners, they beat the snot out of each other and along with the Seahawks. So when you look at that, you have a divisional game on a Sunday at LA and be a lot of emotion in that game because the Seahawks would be the first time down at the new stadium, they just beat each other up. And you know that. You've seen oh, these yeah. games. And then they're, turn, they're turn around close. and face a Cardinal team that is, quite frankly, a pain in the rear end every time they come to Seattle. So, you know, and then they got to go chase around Kyler Murray for, for, for a whole game. So yeah. that's a nice little 11-day. And then you ha- you do have that, what Pete calls the mini-buy right after. So there's a positive and the negative. Then I, I always look at that because November to me is – that's a that's a tough little stretch, but it is it does have that bonus of of that eleven days off before going to Philly where they won twice last year. So those are the two big things uh, I look at the most. And then of course the the third thing I looked at was how they finish, and that's you know what could be another meaningful final game against the 49ers, the oh, yeah. the, the, the NFC champs. So yeah, you know it's it's interesting because like the schedule. Usually a lot of teams and coaches kind of break it up into quadrants of four, 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 four. And hey, right. we want to, at worst case scenario, go two and two through our four games. But if we go three and one, hey, we're on a pace of 12 and four. You know, and obviously some some quadrants might be more difficult than others and all that. But, uh, you know, the bye week is definitely one of the things that always stands out to me. Uh, I, I always I'm always interested to see week 16 and 17. Right. Are those home games or those away games? Is it a split? Um, you know, if, if you have if you have two away games, 16 and 17, I know like the, the Vikings are one team that has that. That's tough because those are usually the weeks where the seating and divisions, all that stuff is kind of decided. And you have to go on the road in those weeks. That That is a very difficult feat. The Seahawks luckily don't have to do that. They'll be at home week 16 on the road week 17. But I mean, you mentioned it. November, Bill Parcells always says it you realize what kind of team you have once you get to Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. And I think November is going to tell us everything we need to know about the 2020 Seattle Seahawks. You know, it starts out, it's not too shabby. Uh, only one playoff team within the first seven weeks of the season. I mean, that's always going off of last year. That one playoff team is the New England Patriots, but the Falcons could be tougher. Cowboys won't be easy. The Vikings are always tough. We're actually two playoff teams with the Vikings being in there as well. But uh, the Cardinals, we all still know 
what they're capable of. But once they get to November, all those games in November, in my opinion, are losable games. They yeah. might they might win them all, but they might lose them all. Starting with the 49ers game, they beat you here in CenturyLink Field with everything on the table last year. Uh, at Buffalo, that's a playoff team that looks like the contender in the AFC East and could be a, a team that maybe is a, is a has a deep playoff run in them. Uh, at L.A., you lost there last season, and that's always been a tough place to play. Then the Cardinals beat you in CenturyLink Field last year. And then at Philadelphia, to where I'm sure they're looking to get revenge after the way the playoffs ended last year. And that's a, a night game in Philadelphia is never easy, uh, especially later on in the season. So the, the, those five games right there will tell us, I think, everything we need to know about this team heading into December, where it gets a little lighter outside of the next two weeks. But New York, New York, Washington isn't the toughest stretch there. But uh, I think we'll know what this team is capable of once they get through the month of November. Yeah, and then when I looked at the Washington game in December, I was like, well, that's good. Maybe the ground will be frozen because that's like the yeah. worst stadium there is. I yeah, mean, that, I think that, by far. Now that the Oakland Coliseum is no longer a thing, that is, I think that definitely takes It's terrible. And that's where Chris Clemens hurt his knee. That's where Hauschka R- messed up his yeah. foot. RG3 uh, hurt his knee. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. It, it, that, it's just a terrible stadium. Uh, and the, the turf is really bad when you go and walk down there. So, oh, yeah. uh, I mean, who knows what that's going to be like that day. But it's it's definitely has its challenges, the the schedule. But, I mean, you know, and then the, the, the Patriots come into town for the opener on a Sunday night. I mean, there's so much history with those two teams. Uh, but I mean, talk about emotion, right? I mean, if the, if there are people in the stands and people watching and that's, that's, that's a pretty awesome game to be at a beautiful night, I'm sure in September. So, uh, the, the AFC games are always, always interesting because you kind of don't know what you're going to get. I mean, long trips to my, I mean, I mean, the dolphins, I, what's up with the dolphins. I mean, they're, they're, they're going to have a lot of young talent. I mean, to, a, a just to watch, yeah, just to watch them will be interesting um but but overall just kind of get excited looking at it. i i definitely think the the division though just screams to me of just a just a bullfight you know everybody has a chance to win it it's yeah. it, it it's crazy how the division games just i you know how many guys how many injuries are suffered in those division games how many guys just you know i mean cooper cooper cup right then he heard he heard himself against the Seahawks. Yeah, he heard him and the, his. Uh, I believe that was his second year. That yeah, he was in the league. Yeah, he heard yeah. himself against the Seahawks, and that was that was non-contact. He just tore his ACL in the grass yeah. uh, at at the USC stadium. So, yeah, we'll we'll see. What what's your overall thought on record wise? Where where can they go with this? Wow, um, when I look at the schedule outside of the week thirteen to fourteen fifteen stretch. I don't really see like a guaranteed win. Um, I, I think I think at home against the Jets and the Giants, they should be able to take care of those. I think at Washington, they should be able to take care of the, uh, of the Redskins. But outside of that, th- there are some tricky games on this schedule. You know, the Falcons—they're going to be better. They're going to be healthier. Mm-hmm. They were banged up quite a bit last year. I mean, heck, the Seahawks caught a break playing them last year when Matt Ryan missed his uh, first game in a long time. They played against Matt Schaub. So right. unless anything happens in training camp, he'll be healthy and ready to go for that game. Uh, the Patriots, I mean, we don't – it looks like it'll be Jared Sidham at quarterback, but anytime you play a Bill Belichick coach team, that's that's always hard because he, he's the greatest coach ever. And it, it, you know they're going to have the advantage in terms of coaching 
And 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 that's that's difficult when you go up against a team that has an, an elite coach like that, and you never know what to expect. I would think the Seahawks should win that game, but you just never know. Uh, Dallas is also difficult. Miami, you mentioned all their young pieces. I mean, to me, it looks like I can see them getting off to a good start, three and two, maybe four and one. But after the bye week, I mean, gosh, it's really tough. Mm-hmm. I mean, you you leave your bye week having to play three or four on the road, and that's just – I mean, that's – you would t- you sign up for a two and two right now and just – if, <laughs> if, if somebody guarantees you that, you sign away and say, cool, we'll figure out the rest of it because that yeah. could easily be one and three. And if you go one and three in that stretch, then boom, all of a sudden you're five and four and you're right in the thick of it fighting for – you're in in the hunt category for people fighting for the wild card spots, but uh, to me, when I look at the schedule on first glance, I see nine and seven, maybe ten and six, right? Because of, the, because of the greatness of a Russell Wilson, but to me, it looks like a nine and seven type of schedule because it is on the surface, it might not be tough, but I think a lot of the teams on their schedules are uh, are in line for some pretty good bounce back seasons uh, in 2020. Yeah, I, I definitely I think ten and six is the the best case scenario yeah. with with all these teams but you know like you said I- injuries are a big thing I think when you have the Patriots and a new quarterback in week two a lot better than say if you know we talk about the possibility they could make the first four weeks the last four weeks of the season that's going to be a complete that that would be a completely different Patriots team if you're yeah. talking about the the uh, was it Stidham was that his name Jared Stidham Stidham you would have him uh, in week what Essentially, Gosh, that would he, that would be what, th- week fourteen, right? Yeah. I mean, if they were to do that, if they were to take those games moving back, so I think I think they're getting lucky to have him week two under the oh, best that's, case scenario. That, that's definitely a best case, and, and also being a home opener. I mean, gosh, when's the last time they lost a home opener? Like two thousand two, I think. Like, I don't remember. Yeah, it's, it's been so long. Those home openers are always so electric and. The fans are, do such a great job of getting the place all rowdy and, and ruckus. But, uh, I mean, it, it to me, because of the way last year happened, I mean, gosh, I mean, 11-5 and five was such a remarkable record for that team, how banged up they were and all that stuff. But they also caught a lot of breaks in terms mm-hmm. of the way things shook out for them. I mean, they play the Steelers last year. Ben Roethlisberger goes down in the second quarter. That's a close yep. game. Heck, if he's able to play that whole game, who knows how that turns out. That was it for his season. He was done done for the season right there in in week two. And then the Thursday nighter against the L.A. Rams. The Rams were a field goal kick 41-yarder away from winning that football game. Missed. You know, that's that's a field goal that they should have made, and the Seahawks probably should have lost that game. Yeah. That that goes into their favor. The Cleveland Browns kind of soil themselves in the fourth quarter because Cleveland was in control for a good chunk of that football game, and then they kind of just – fell apart there towards the end and you know it's like certain things that you play a Falcons team without Matt Ryan than the Tampa Bay game I mean gosh that game could have gone either way you know with how high scoring that was and then San Francisco right. their kicker misses the field goal at the end of regulation which could have gone in the favor of that the game was Niners. nuts yeah you know it's like there's so many things and I feel like the Seahawks last year were on the right end of so many kind of high leverage volatile situations that could have gone either way that sometimes, like, the football gods c- almost correct it the following year. <laughs> you know, it, it's like, th- that's yeah, my, yeah, that's my yeah. fear for this 2020 Seahawks team is that 
all those breaks that they caught a year ago, that even though they might be healthier this season, there might be weird things that happen that have them on the short end this season. And that, that it would be unfortunate because I think this the team that's talented and I mean, who knows with what Clowney does and all that stuff. But I mean, if they're able to get a guy like him, I mean, they're one of the 10 best teams in the league if they're able to get a Clowney back. And it, it, I just feel like they played with fire so much last year that this year they might get burnt. Yeah. I hope that's not the case. Yeah. But, you know, but you it, never know. You, you know? never know. It's, it's, it's why the league is always, I mean, every year you see at least four new playoff teams. It's, it's not because teams automatically got worse. It's because sometimes situations one year, the ball bounced your way. The next year it didn't. Right. <laughs> you know, and like that's with, with so many, with so many, or so few of games, the margins are so thin in this league that it, it's it's hard to be consistently good, and that's why you commend the Seahawks for what they've been able to do since Pete Carroll and John Schneider showed up in 2010. They're they're consistently one of the really good teams. Uh, you know, the New England Patriots, obviously the gold standard over the past two decades, being really good. It, it's it's if to be consistently good, you either have to have an elite quarterback or. You better be elite at something because it, it is hard to stay at the top in the NFL. One year you're up, the next year you're down is kind of the way the league is designed. Yeah. Yeah, and you know some of the steps they took, I, I you know, maybe they know what's coming at them. So they have, they have to get better in some positions. And maybe they feel like they did, but they still need that clowny, Everson Griffin type of guy on the defensive yeah. line to really be that, that roughhouser so to speak, that disruptor uh, that I, I don't know if they totally have that right now. So, and then plus you're not sure about KJ status. So you're going to be looking for a, a really young guy in Brooks to come in and make an immediate impact. And what's his learning curve going to be? Uh, some, some of the first round draft choices, not the best by John Schneider. So you got to hope that's not the case this year, you know, and what can Collier do to, to defensively? There's so many questions and what hurts when you have this team and you bring in those new parts and you're dependent on some guys, they don't have these OTAs. They don't have that time to really get better. You know what I mean? No, no, no team does. It's not like the Seahawks are special. Uh, but I think this team could definitely benefit from some hands-on, direct contact coaching, especially if you're talking about a young offensive line with Solari and uh, guys that are co- coming in new. Um this is where things really get taught. I always kind of think they you set the foundation in the spring, and that's why they come in on the day that you know training camp starts, and they're just rolling like they and they look like they've been there for a month and a half because they've been doing these things. They had a four week break, and they they know exactly what they're doing. I mean, how much confusion, how much stuff has to get just straight that first week of training camp because they hadn't gone through OTAs and mini camp and veteran camp and things. You know what I mean? It's going to be, and that's for every team. So maybe that team you think could make an impact by signing a bunch of new guys. I mean, the Dolphins probably, they got a bunch of new guys, but they're not going to know where the hell they're going the first week of practice. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So it's, it's just everything about the schedule, about the season, about the NFL, about sports is just interesting right now. And, and it and it really lends itself to some incredible watching time. You know what I mean? How is this going to yeah. play out? What's going to happen? How are this? 
how are these players going to react? What if they have to play in an empty stadium? You know, or what if they do play in front of a hundred people and everybody has their own section at CenturyLink? You know, <laughs> who, who uh, and, knows? And, and I think that's that's a key factor is that pl- playing in front of an empty stadium. I think the Seahawks are probably one of the teams that would be hurt the most by that because of how great of a home field advantage that they have with CenturyLink Field. You know, it's like the, like you think about the teams that have the best home field advantages, some of the best, most loyal fans. It's like the Seahawks. The Packers are always a really good home team. The Vikings are usually really tough. The Patriots, Chiefs are really tough. Well, if there's no people in the stands, that goes away in terms of having that mm-hmm. edge. And a team like the Chargers, who's used to playing with no <laughs> fans or fans that aren't theirs, <laughs> they're like, right. hey, join the party, guys. <laughs> this is what it feels yeah, like. Yeah, welcome to <laughs> you know? it, it. So it kind of like the no fans thing kind of hurts some teams more because they usually have an edge while other teams who don't have as good an edge or as good as, as a following, they're kind of like, all right, well, this doesn't really affect us as much because it's kind of usually a net negative for us anyways. So now that there's nobody here, great. We're all on the same playing field. Now. Right. <laughs> but, you know, I think one thing though, that I, I don't want to sound like this is all negative and like the Seahawks are doomed for seven and nine or whatever, because one thing that they can hang their hat on with all this uncertainty is that they have Russell Wilson, they have Pete Carroll. Mm -hmm. And when you look at the schedule in every single one of those games, the Seahawks will have the better quarterback on the field. And in a good majority of those games, they will have the better coach. And those are the two most important positions on the field. Obviously it's a team sport and all that matter. But if you, if you can assure that you want to be elite at one spot, it's at coach and it's at quarterback and the Seahawks, at least at quarterback for sure. Coach, I don't know if, P. Carroll's elite. He's certainly a great coach. Top two, top three, that's up for debate. But Russell Wilson, for sure, is in the top two quarterbacks. You can debate with either him or Patrick Mahomes as who might be the best, but he's for sure in the top two. And there's no Kansas City Chiefs on the schedule. So you at least know that Russell Wilson will be the best player on the field every time you take the field. And that is certainly something to feel comfortable about heading into what appears to be kind of a more daunting schedule than what meets the eye. Yep, and you got your defensive quarterback on the other side too, and Bobby Wagner that could lead the way in a young young defense, you know, which is why they have him and why they have some young players that are going to have to learn really fast from him as well. So the, this is when the elite players have to step up. You're, you're totally right about that. So, yeah, they're lucky to have him. They're definitely lucky to have him. Yeah, it's – it's nice to have uh, something to talk about, you know, in terms of the NFL schedule coming out. I definitely yesterday had the juices flowing a little bit. I was like, oh, man, like the schedule's out. Let's see what's – oh, what's the Sunday night slate looking like? Right. What's Monday night looking like? You know, it's like it's cool to have that to talk about. Obviously, yeah. who knows what happens the next three or four months down the road. But uh, at least for, for, for one Thursday in May that we had yesterday, it was it was pretty cool to just kind of live in that in that world where we can imagine NFL football coming this fall. Yeah, it's good. It's something to focus on. It's something new. They certainly have worked the calendar and worked the time of the pandemic to their advantage. Not that they're using it for that, but definitely keeping people interested. Uh, And, you know, when I look at that schedule, I see hope and optimism that if somehow we can pull it off and there's football and that, you know, it gives people across the country. I mean, let's face it. The NFL is the number one spectator sport. People, people yeah. dig it. And if people are going to have to be stuck at home, if there's a second wave of this infection as it goes and it's going to be a, a long fall or whatever, then if there's NFL and they can figure that out. And my, and my thing is, even when it comes to Major League Baseball, 
if Taiwan and Korea can figure it out, we need to be able to figure it out. I mean, you know what I mean? I mean, I, I think their technology and, and how they're doing it is, and, and by that, what I mean, Femi, is that they're giving you a template. They're showing yeah. that it can be done. They're not doing, I mean, you're not allowing a lot of people, hardly anybody in the stadium. You're really minimizing risk. Uh, testing is right there on the scene. And that's, that's what they got to do. And so if you look at the microcosm of just being able to test people, and you want to have people tested at a baseball game, that's where mass testing for our entire country has to count. Because then it's like, well, how come a baseball player can get tested, but I can't? Well, that's the thing. Exactly. It's got to be, you know, testing, testing, testing right now until there's a cure. So once that's in place, then they can can really get rolling. But I, I like what I saw in the Korean Baseball League. I mean, to me, just, just watching it. And after a while, you start watching some of the close-ups on batters. I mean, the way they do the camera angles for 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 those games, it's – you don't notice it as much until there's some hits to, to the outfield. You know what I mean? Then you're like, yeah. oh, there's nobody's in there. Uh, but for the most part, I mean, they're, they're pulling it off. And so they, they're giving you something right there. And they're communicating. You got American players over there that you could bounce things off of as well. Um, so the NFL, which has the deepest pocket in sports, in my opinion, should be able to do this just fine. But then it's that question. They can't have their Super Bowl in an empty stadium. So – how, how yeah. can they elongate their schedule to work in favor of that, right? I mean, could you imagine? I mean, could, let, let's just visit. The, the NFL can write their script pretty well. Can, can, can you imagine that that is the first full-scale mass event after there's a vaccine that, you know, oh people God. fill Tampa Bay and, and they're partying in the streets because the Super Bowl, yeah. that American event, the crown jewel of American sports, people, all this stuff is behind yeah. us and people are – you know, together breathing on each other in Tampa Bay, right? <laughs> you talk about a Super Bowl of all Super Bowls, <laughs> right? I mean, oh my god, I mean, that, that were the case. that could work out. For, and let's face it, those those guys, they're privy to a lot more information than you and I, and they may know stuff, yeah. and they may have people inside because they know, you know, all those businessmen, all those owners, you know, they just know more stuff than probably the normal person does. And so maybe that those are behind the door means like, hey, you know, maybe I mean, you have literally it's like a race for a vaccine. This has never happened in modern history. Like these companies are yeah. trying to do it. So but then you got to incubate and it's going to take a while. But still, it, the sooner they get it right. Yeah, and, no, it's it, it, it definitely it's definitely a race against time. And, and, and it's, we're all kind of the spectators who are hopefully playing our part and. And, and and just being patient to see what what's what's going to come of this, but uh, but yeah, no, I think as of now, it's just let's let's just hope. Hope is all we can do, and just you know, hope we can play our part, and hope that everyone else is doing the same to where we're able to to get back to some sort of normalcy. Just not even in sports, but just in our lives in general. In conclusion, how about we give the four sectors or the four uh, segments of the NFL schedule a letter, Femi? How about we give the first four weeks H, the second four weeks O, the third four weeks P, and the final four weeks E? It's hope. That's what I'm going to do. Every time I look at the NFL schedule, I see hope. How about that? <laughs> that, is, that is a good note to end it on, Mike. <laughs> that is a good note to end it on. But as always, uh, subscribe, rate, and review. Tell your friends about it. Tell your family about it. Uh, not a whole lot to do these days. So, uh, 
maybe during your 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 nice walk out there in the evening, maybe bring some 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 AirPods and listen to Femi and Ferrari. <laughs> yeah, why not? Right, we'll keep you company. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, we'll keep we'll keep you company for sure. But uh, Mike, always good chatting with you, and then uh, let's do this again. Definitely soon, next uh, week, sure. Yeah, yeah. Have a good evening. Enjoy the rest of this uh, wonderful day that we have out here. In you Seattle. too, buddy. Grateful for you, man. All right, catch you later. All right, Bye. take care.